You're listening to Self Worst. This is a podcast about failure, day jobs, bad habits, mental health, and the fleeting sense of sanity, worth, and dignity that we all chase under capitalism. We're going to talk about trauma, art, spiritualism, imposter syndrome, perfectionism, and the mirage of meritocracy. Each week, Artists, designers, losers, dirtbags, musicians, degenerates, comedians, actors, fuck-ups, scholars, crazies, filmmakers, veterans, sluts, commies, weirdos, activists, addicts, teachers, fatties, queers, and all other types of beautiful people. Join me, Brad Pearson, in a discussion of what to do with this stupid, sacred life. Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on Self-Worst Hello everybody, hi It's me, Brad Pearson, I'm a little stinker, aren't I? <sighs> I'm in my house alone Kalen's off doing a thing, work thing. I, I'm not wearing a shirt. I'll, I'd take my shirt off usually when I'm just, just around the house. I just, I don't know. It's comfortable. Anyway, that's where I'm at. Still wearing the cast. Not, not a cast, but like a boot thing for my toe. Sucks. Getting back to working. Uh, you know, just doing sort of like part-time stuff. Uh, it's really not so much the toe. It's like my ankle and my calf. Cause I have to sort of walk in this weird way to keep my weight off the outside of my foot. And I can't really do it for very long. Anyway, that's what I'm up to. What are you up to? Hope you're having a good week. Uh, look. I know we're uh, kind of on an irregular release schedule. We put one out on Friday. Now we're putting one out on Wednesday. What's happening? But, you know, I don't... Look, what do you want from me? I'm a depressive with ADHD. Doing a thing on a consistent day every week. Who needs that? Not my thing. I'll get to it when I get to it. I might drop the next episode on Monday. Fuck it. I don't care. You never know when another self-worse is going to come out. How about that? Keeping you on your toes. Keeping you guessing. Unpredictable like that. Chaos, baby. Anyway, this week, I'm very excited. We're talking to one of my favorite podcasters. uh, Just intellectual, uh, public intellectual people. Luisa Diaz. Um, she has a podcast called Why You Mad, which she runs with comedian Jake Flores, a former guest of the show. Another one of my favorite episodes. Love that episode. Long time ago. I'd love to have him back on. Jake, come back on the pod, King. It's been a minute. Love to have you back on. But, uh, I don't know. I've been doing this for a minute. It's still not gaining any traction. Still just kind of floundering in obscurity. That's okay. We're chugging along in mediocrity, in perpetuity. But our guests continue to be excellent. And listen, I love all my guests. 
If you've ever been on this show, know that I love you and you're my best friend and I would die for you. But I have, how do I put this? I have rarely talked to anybody as fucking smart as Luisa Diaz. She's one of the smartest people I've ever met. It's crazy. So I was nervous going into it. I was, uh, you know, hoping that it was like, oh man, I hope I am able to keep up. Hope I can, I don't know, not just sound like the Chris Farley show or something. I think I did an okay job. I think I was very happy with how this talk turned out. I listened back to it today just to, you know, make sure it all sounded okay. No glitches or whatever. And I was like, okay, I did it pretty much. As good as it's going to get from me, I do a thing. I complete it. Is it spellbinding and amazing? I don't know. It's good. I do a thing. I make a thing and it's good. This is what that's what we that's largely what we talk about in this episode. Make a thing, enjoy it. Enjoy the process of it. And if it gets caught up in the gears of of capitalism and 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 makes a big splash culturally, so be it. If it don't, well, you better love what you do. So this is where we're at. I love each of you, my three listeners. You're great. You are also my best friend, and I would die for you. If you're listening to this, if you've been on this journey with me so far, or if you're new to the show, if you're a fan of Why You Mad and you came over to this podcast to check out what Louisa might have to say on another show, welcome. Glad to have you. You are all also my best friend, and I would die for you. I'm just kind of looking to die, sounds like. Give me a reason. Anyway. <sighs> I don't have much else. You want to just go to the interview now? Let's do some housekeeping up front. Uh, Patreon.com slash selfworst. Help me out. Listen, if I was getting enough money for this show, I wouldn't have to go to a day job and then I could put them out on a more regular basis. And and you'd, you'd know it's okay, it's every Thursday. Would that make you feel better? I don't think anybody's actually upset about this. I'm making up a lot in my head of this audience that isn't there and they're mad at me because I'm not putting free content out on the right day of the week. So that's my brain. I'm like preemptively apologizing for not putting it a thing out my own volition on a consistent day of the week. <sighs> Brad, Brad, Brad. Anyway, uh, patreon.com slash self worst. I said that. Um, rate and review. Check out Luisa's podcast. And uh, that's all. I'll see you on the flip side. I'll have some more shit to say at the end. I always do. All right. Let's go to the talk with Luisa Diaz. I, I, I tripped and I felt like I just stubbed my toe and I was like, oh, that kind of hurts. And then I, we went up on the rocks and we were drying off and I was looking at it and I was just like, that's not right.
night. <laughs> and then and yeah. we, I, we still had to walk like two miles back to the fucking car. Um, and oh I was my just like, God. I think Can I tell you though? I think it's broken. I have... I'm not going to panic, but I think this thing that bad boy is broken. Um, well, okay. First of all, kudos to you. Okay, I'm going to hit record now. Yeah. Okay. Okay, uh, record. And I'm getting myself. Yes, perfect. So uh, kudos to you for not freaking out. Mm-hmm. Um, while tripping, that's pretty amazing to me. Uh, I've never had a bad trip, but I understand why people have them. And I, now that I'm older, because I started tripping when I was like 15, probably like really early. Yeah. And so now that I'm older, people will like, I just had a comic who's really cool and I kind of want to be friends with her, you know? And she DM'd me and she was like, we should go to the woods and trip and go hiking. And I'm like, Oh my God, like I would like to do both of those things, but I think I'm scared to do both of those things at the same time, precisely because of what happened to you, because I don't think that I'm brave enough to not fucking freak out yeah, if you I know, find myself okay. in an emergency on the side of a mountain. Well, here's the thing. I had fears about that, like, because anytime I get too high or I get too, um, you know, like I, I'm out too far on like a trip. I, I I'll start to think about just like oh god what would happen if I like something really bad happened or I got hurt or something like would I freak out you know and I'd be looking at it like ah! like you know like it would be that much more like vivid and visceral yeah. if I was if I was under the influence of something but actually kind of the opposite thing happened I was very much just like focused and calm I was, yeah I was just like <laughs> well we have to get back to the car and it hurts okay. a little bit when I walk and of course it hurts there's a broken bone in my foot. But, but were you okay. even like conscious of like the fact that you have to stay cool so that your girlfriend would not freak out too? I mean, right? a like, little bit because she's yeah. she's a little less experienced with psychotropics than okay. I am, and mm-hmm. um, she's a lot more Type A, and uh, tends to have a lot of anxiety. I, like I had to assure her a lot that like you've you've done edibles before. Taking one yeah. tab of acid is pretty akin to doing an edible. Like it's really not yeah. that big of a deal. Um, okay, so you know, I'm probably so. like a type A, right? Mm-hmm. So, but I've done uh, psychotropics for the longest more than anything else. And it's probably the thing I will do the longest. Yeah, I, it's my favorite. I, I, yeah, me too. I took my SATs on acid, okay? So when you oh talk God. about, yeah, so when you talk about this like emergency feeling, but then you're like, be clear-minded about it and fucking focus and like do the next thing you have yeah. to do, which is just walk out of this fucking mountain and like whatever. That is exactly how taking your SATs on acid felt. Like I, it was just literally like, I was like, okay, you just have to read this paragraph and see what the fuck they're talking about. And then answer the fucking question. Yeah, you can <laughs> do then, it. You're like, yeah, um, totally. who's that guy, Doc Ellis, who pitched a no hitter on acid? Yeah, time? exactly. It I feels really... very like, Uh, I'm not a sports guy, really, but that's like one of my favorite things in American history. And it's like that game wasn't televised, apparently. Like there's no footage of it. And I just want to see it so bad. I want to see him just like up on that mound, just like full focus. Yeah, banger after banger. Just just yeah, just striking dudes out like, oh, my God. How well, cool. even as a teen, I was like, I feel like I, when I take acid, I solve my problems, you know, like mm. not in the way of like the drug fixes the problems, right? Which is like, oh, that's what is bad about drugs. But in the way of like the clarity that it provides for you to think through certain things. Yeah. I got a, so, I mean, I'm old. So it was when the SATs were a max of 1600 and I got a 1420. 
Okay. Not bad. <laughs> on acid, on like, okay, I had been tripping all night long and then at 7 a.m. and I went and I bought more acid because I had to go take my SAT. So I was like, fuck it. I forgot. I got to take more, <laughs> more fucking acid. So I get there and so I So wait, take you it. were double down on acid? Yeah. Oh my I God. I mean, I had you already two peaked. Tabs in? I was, no, I was like three tabs in. Jesus. Yeah, because I had already peaked from two tabs earlier in the night. And then I was like, like in the way that I imagine like Coke users are, like I was yeah. very like, you know what will get me through the rest of the day? One more tab. Right. More <laughs> drugs like, is always the yeah, way. Just drug exactly. through it. At 17, I was like, I'm super sure that this is what I need to do. Yes. And I went and I did it and I went, my friend dropped me off at the fucking SATs and I had all the things that I needed, but then I'm taking the test and, you know, at least in Florida, you have to go to a different school than the mm -hmm. school that you go to. So it just like feels like a another dimension because it looks like you're right. School, it's like a dream. It's, where it's not. Your house, yeah, it's not exactly. Your house. And yeah. it's not your house. And you're like, this is very weird. And the main thing I remember is that in my school, the clocks were analog. But in this high school, the clocks were digital and they were like red. And so like every time the minute changed, it just like flashed red in my head, in my face, you know, like that's how I felt like it's like this oppressive giant clock and I get through like all of the English you know the language stuff and then we're doing math and I could not get my calculator to work and so instead of freaking out math is not my thing but instead of freaking out I was like I got this I asked for more scrap paper and I swear to you I like wrote out every single math problem like I was the last person to leave I ran out of time and I didn't finish the math section that's why I got a 1420 but Literally, the only things I got wrong are the things I didn't finish because I was sitting there doing math like by hand. And then I walk out and I run into my friend who is not tripping. And he's like, how'd it go? And I was like, oh, my God, like, I think I fucked it up. My calculator didn't work. And I'm like freaking out. And he's like, let me see. And I hand him my calculator and he hits a button and it totally worked. Brad. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I will never know to this day if I, my tripping brain was just like, no, you cannot use this calculator, figure it out, or if it didn't actually work. But right. it worked out for me. It was great. So I do understand the feeling of like the focus. But what I have realized when this friend asked me about the, the hiking and tripping thing is I am a city person, you know, like I am comforted by the fact that I'm surrounded by people constantly. And that I, if I have a problem, I can go to people around me, like society. I know it has a lot of problems, but it comforts me to be right in like nestled <laughs> in all of our infrastructure and human like networks whereas anything that has to do with just being like stuck somewhere is it freaks me the fuck out like i just can't what do you do like i don't know like i can't mm. i so much respect that you were just like i'll just calmly walk out of here with my broken toe <laughs> it, yeah i don't know it just it just worked somehow like i remember yeah. like the injury thing about a year ago, um, we took an edible. No, this was this was pre-pandemic. So we were coming back home. We had driven all the way out to Minnesota. We were coming back, and we found this Airbnb that seemed fine. But we got in there, and it smelled like piss. And it was in the middle of Ohio, and it just like the room just reeked of piss, and it was all carpets, and it was just like, oh, this carpet is just saturated in piss. Um, and so. We decided to order a pizza, take an edible, and watch a movie. And the movie we chose to watch was Green Room. And <laughs> the edible kicked in right when, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a scene with a hand that goes through a door and then comes back not quite the same as how yeah. we put it through. And it kicked in like right during that part. 
Like not not the thing you want to be. Yeah, and it was just like a pee pee room, and it was it was very uncomfortable. So I've been in that like very like yeah. I don't like this kind of headspace. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It just turned out it turned out okay. But would you really compare like an edible situation with something uh, like acid? Actually, yeah, I think it's sort of similar. The way it affects me anyway is like yeah. uh, marijuana has kind of a low key hallucinogenic quality really? to it, where it kind of yeah, it just it doesn't, you know, I'm not seeing like colors or any shit like that, yeah. but it's like it sort of alters my perception on things a little bit. Sort of opens I, a couple y- different new pathways, yeah. doorways. I only I only ask because it's so fascinating to me how like all of the human brains are so different. <laughs> like yeah. we can all react so differently to things because you know, like um, you know, I say to you, I've, I've been doing acid since I was 15. I did mescaline, peyote. <laughs> you know, like uh, I've done uh, belladonnas. Have you ever heard of belladonnas? No. The- it's basically a poison that you brew out of a Jesus. flower that grows in Florida. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the only thing that has ever given me visuals is belladonnas. Wow. All right. So even taking like huge amounts of gel tabs and um, paper, you know, yeah. uh, hits, I wasn't really a visuals person. I'm like an extremely like mental shit Cerebral. gets crazy. Right. Yeah. In my brain, it gets insane. That's not surprising. Yeah. And then um, with weed, weed is almost like, um, um, like it keeps me, like it evens out. Like, I don't know. Yeah. This is going to make me sound completely crazy. I don't know. I know that your podcast is about being your best worst self I guess but um I will tell you that I had um so okay this is one of the questions that you had mentioned on your um email I have had like a spotty history with antidepressants yeah right I've had a depression I would say probably since I was like 13 or something like that and the first time I was medicated was when I was in college and it didn't work for me and so then after college I just was like very against it and what uh, were you taking in college? I think it was Prozac and then mm, that's what I'm something. taking right now. It's kind yeah. of a go to, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's no. And, of... and it's just so crazy to me. It's, it, back to the other drugs thing, yeah. right? That everybody's brains it, are it really so fucking does. different. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, the most frustrating thing about the entire process is the fact that like they don't really take effect until like three months after like the, the side effects are immediate, but the positive effects don't really start until yeah. two, three months in. So it can be years before you really get to the drug or the cocktail that helps you. So it can be a very frustrating experience while the whole time you're like losing your interest in sex or like your appetite or you gain weight or all these other things that make it really hard for you. You know, when people are just like, why don't you just take medicine? It's very difficult, you know? Yeah. And so when I was like in my later 20s, I had a doctor that was like, you have depression, you need to be an antidepressant. (laughs) And I literally was like, uh, you know, like, I, I really think that, like, I need to work on quitting smoking weed before I fucking even think about taking right. some kind of, like, pharmaceutical seems stupid because none of them account for the fact that, like, I smoke a lot of weed, right? And this doctor straight to my face was just like, well, it sounds to me like you've been managing your very high levels of anxiety with weed successfully for a decade <laughs> because yeah. you're very, like, uh, high functioning and productive and all these things. But we have to find other ways to fix these things. And so her recommendation was like not to quit weed. It was to try to find an antidepressant that works with weed and then try to like pare back the weed, (laughs) which I was like, very, nobody ever even like, it's, it's just very funny uh, because most people I think don't want to say to their doctor, the truth about 
how they self-medicate, you sure, know? Yeah, that can be a weird subject. Yeah. And... You, I, and I'm not really even sure why, because like you're supposed to tell them everything be yeah. because like that's their job. And yet I always kind of want to present like, I'm no, I'm doing good. I'm, you know, I'm not... But that's the thing. We are doing good, though. If you are still like meeting the majority of your responsibilities yeah. and being the person that most people need you to be and you're, you're sad or and you sleep too much or you don't sleep, mm -hmm. enough, you know, like these other things, then you are a good person that's being like the best that you can. So what actually happened to me was that, uh, you know, I had like in and outs and whatever. But then uh, the next time that I was like resistant to a doctor being like, you, you need to take some antidepressants. This fucking woman straight up got me with science, dude. She was just like, if I had just told you that your kidneys don't work and that you needed to take this medicine, you would not be arguing with me. And I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. And she's like, I'm telling you, your brain doesn't work correctly. <laughs> so you need to take this medicine. I'm like, oh. And that's what convinced me to get to like commit to the path of trying to find the right drug to help me. Because if I had like diabetes or, you know, something yeah. else, I would I would do that. Right. I would want to live healthy. So I would try the, the drugs and the treatments that my doctors recommended. Yeah. Um, and so I guess to lead into the whole mental health talk uh, for the first time in a few years, I feel really, really good. Um, That's great. I, yeah, I had like a really bad depression uh, around 2018 before the pandemic started, actually. Mm -hmm. So then I started to come out of it during the pandemic, which is very conflicting based yeah. on how like, yeah. the world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I feel you, yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty much where I'm at, where I'm like, I, I am finally on good meds uh, very late in my life, I think. Because, what are you taking now? What's your... what's your Effexor. Uh, uh, Effexor, okay. That's another, mm -hmm. that's a big one. Yeah, it's a weird one because, so I tried SSRIs and this is an S. An MAOI? And, is it an MAOI? No, it's not an MAOI. Okay. It's an SSNR, something S like that. Right, it's like one, right, right, one right, letter right. different. Sure. And um, I guess like all the SSRIs had not worked for me. So the doctor was like, for people who SSRIs don't work. You have an extra I, letter in there that needs to be taken yeah. care of. Okay. And the weird thing is Effexor is um, its primary use is for um, high blood pressure. And it's only like secondarily like used as like an antidepressant, but it's worked really great. It, you know, it hasn't affected uh, my libido. It hasn't affected um, my interest in things. Well, it's made it better. Um, it's been great. I feel really good. And since then, it's just been kind of having to deal with some of the external things in the world because for the first time it's like internally I feel good but then yeah. like now the rest of the world is not doing great not so good not so yeah <laughs> yeah how are you doing with the broken foot post pandemic like as everybody's uh, opening up God, you have to stay I mean, home <laughs> I know. it's fucking funny yeah. like I've been thinking about this yeah. like I'm I'm you know I was just getting back into the gym um, and I do like, I do kickboxing. I just started doing jujitsu with like, like very physical shit and, yeah. uh, was just like, oh, cool. So I guess that's off the table for a while. And that's the thing, like over the pandemic, getting into that stuff, um, or, or just like doing more of that, just at home workouts every day. 
yeah, uh, was really sanity saving, and I think boosted me into a I higher bet. level of mental health than I've been in a long time. Yeah. And it's during the end of the world, you know. Yeah. So like, I was like getting up, and I'm like, I'm exercising every day, I'm motivated. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, it's it's nine a it's nine a.m. It's ten a.m. I've already like gotten up, and I've like had my protein shake and done a workout and taken a shower. I'm like, all right, here we go. Yeah. And then I'm like, I guess I'm, I'm gonna watch Netflix until it's you know an appropriate time to start drinking you know yeah. <laughs> like that's that's the other side of it so because there's nothing so else how to do. so what are you doing now though now that you've got a broken foot or broken toe and you can't do all of that <sighs> I stuff. don't know well I mean I I started doing pull-ups actually because I'm okay. determined to Smart. continue punishing my body yeah. um yeah so I'm you doing, could also do like some push-ups on only the other foot uh, right uh yeah no. I think I haven't tried a push-up yet Okay. Um, so I've been doing pull-ups. I did some kettlebells. Um, that seems to be okay. And I'm kind of getting back to it. Like I went to work today. We just had like, I walked dogs during the day and I, I had kind of like a truncated schedule today, but like yeah. I was able to ride my bike. I was able to walk just sort of slower, Yeah. you know? So I'm careful. like, I can do like quarter speed, half speed, maybe just to like get myself out of the house for a few hours a yeah. day. That's about the best I can do right now. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is the irony of it is not lost on me that the world is opening up again and everybody's going outside and I, I go outside (laughs) and and I immediately fucking break a bone, you know, and and then I'm just like stuck just like in quarantine mode again. Oh, well. How long are you gonna? Ha- Do you have a cast? I assume. How long? No, there's no to- cast. Uh, it's, it's just, just like an outer ta- thing. It's buddy taped. You you tape it to <gasps> okay, the adjacent, okay. like when yeah. you break a finger and you see people yeah. like, with their two fingers taped together. So it's it's not a huge break. Um, it's my it's my proximal phalanx. That's the most in innermost bone closest to. Yeah, you can't put a cast on that. Can't yeah. Can't put a cast on it, mm-hmm. so it's just taped in place. And I have this stupid like boot sandal thing, boot, yeah, um, that doesn't allow my foot to you know uh, twist or anything. Yeah, I've been there. How many? Hey, you've broken a bone before. It sounds like I have not broken a bone. I broke my Achilles tendon. <sighs> yeah, buddy, sounds great, right? Yeah, I ah. dropped a TV. I dropped a giant like '80s TV. You know the ones with the big fucking fat yeah. backs fell forward onto the back of my ankle and cut my Achilles tendon in half when I was like nine. Fuck. So I had to wear... It, they also can't put a cast on that, FYI. So they kind of like build... Um, it's almost like a toboggan. You know, like it's only like yeah. half a cast. And then they put the boot on it because the whole point is you can't turn your ankle so that it heals as much as possible. Right. Uh, but it still hurts when it rains. You know, it's fucked up. I think all feet and hand things are pretty fucked up. Yeah, I know. This is giving me like that gives me some anxiety about just like what's my prognosis? Like, as if I have to like work on my feet and I want to continue like kicking shit. Yeah. Like, is this gonna be like a bummer for the rest of my life? Is this gonna turn me off of it when I'm just you know like uh, I hope I don't know. I you can probably I, I still I re- kick stuff. Yeah, but we'll see. I, I well, do... that's the other thing. Like, fucking kickboxers break their feet and their legs all the time. All the time. Yeah, it, so, exactly. You know? So yeah, it's probably yeah, you'll fine. Be fine. I don't know. I'm just trying to baby it and take care of it <laughs> so know. that i can kick things in the future so that i can kick <laughs> shit it's, it's very important to me like it's it, like getting back i managed to go back to the gym a couple of times um and was like laying into the heavy bag and like bruised up my shins again for the first time because yeah. i was doing like shadow boxing shit and it's like that's 
you'll get your cardio and you can like do the movements and like work your body through that, but you're not hitting against anything that offers any resistance. And so like, you're not fully conditioning your body in the same way. And so yeah. like, I remember like I was, it was the same trip, same, um, same weekend. I took a picture of my bruised up shins and I was like, <laughs> send it to my trainer. Like, yeah, check it out. My shins are all bruised again. And then the next picture I send him is an x-ray of my toe. And I'm like, okay, so <laughs> I'll see you in four weeks, six weeks. Uh, God damn it. <laughs> you know, like it sucks. Pisses me off. That's I don't how know. It goes. What are you going to do? The thing about you, um, acing your ACTs, SATs. SATs, Sorry, Midwestern. Yeah. Um, I did also take my SATs. You, you, you took the same, okay. Yeah, and I, I did the I took ASVAB. One of them. Ugh, I, I took, I think, the ACTs because I was like, I'm going to go to art school. None of this matters. Oh, okay. But, yeah. Um, in in Florida, they just make you take everything. Did you? Let me ask you this. I know this is a sidebar, but it uh-huh. came up recently on Twitter. So now I feel like I have to pull everybody. You said you can't. You grew up where? Midwest. Midwest. So did you take the ASVAB? No, I've never heard of that. No, that is the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude something. And it's like a test that is like to see what armed services wing you should go to and like what kind of job you'd be good for. And the way this came up is that somebody on Twitter brought it up. And then what they were saying was like, it's like as an adult, I'm starting to realize they only made like poor rural kids take this test and i grew up in miami dade county mm-hmm. where it was mandatory and i'm like so horrified like i'm not shocked because i understand how this country works yeah. but i'm horrified that like they are purposely then in poor counties and immigrant counties running this test to like find people to go die for the armed services yeah so messed up yeah, anyway, no, that's I, I, I let's move I, on. I, I, that's okay. I got one phone yeah. call from an army recruiter when I turned 18 was just like, listen, I've been protesting the Iraq war. Um, I am right, currently had- a vegetarian. I uh, am going, I want to like, go to you don't want school. me. <laughs> I'm a drama guy. You know, I'm not your guy. I'm just simply not your guy. Sorry. I don't want to waste your time. Well, so, so, so let me tell you, I aced the ass bab. And I would get from like my junior year on calls from every single branch of the armed forces constantly at my house offering me like all kinds of things like, oh, you should apply because this will be a way to go to college. And they had my mom saying to me, you should consider this because how else are you going to go to college? Right. You should go to the, you know, like go join the Air Force. And I would have to tell my mom, you know, I'm a first generation American. She's an immigrant. Um. I would have to be like, I, this is a scam. <laughs> you know, like I was like yeah. 17 or 18 being like, this is absolutely not what I should do. And then the funny thing is that I was like thinking I know so much better. And I was like, what I should do though is take out a bunch of loans and go to school on my own. So I got scammed There's anyway. A, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but at least I didn't get shot at. So sure. we win. We win in the small ways. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, on that note, can you go into a little bit of your origin story? Like how you how you ended up in New York, how you ended up, you know, what made Louisa Louisa? Sure. Ooh, let's do let's see what we could do in elevator pitch about me. OK. All right. I am uh, the first American in my family. So right. I was born in Miami, Florida, but I grew up in Columbia. 
Um, my brother is also American, but our whole, the rest of our family is Colombian. Okay. And uh, that means I was raised extremely Catholic and I was raised in a way to be a wife and a mother. And um, because of the violence in the country that I come from and honestly, capitalism and all that other shit, uh, my dad was killed when I was like 11. Jeez. So then after that, I was a single mother, you know, like a single parent home. Yeah. But because my brother and I were American, my mom moved to America. So we lived like these two different kind of lives, right? Where in South America, we were maybe not top one, 1%, but we were of like the poor people who through crime and shit, <laughs> like moved up and did shit. And then after my dad was killed, we were poor people in America who had like go to public school and have food yeah. stamps and have a single parent household. So um, I experienced this like very weird um, shifting of cultures. Right. So like I went from like you're being raised to be a mom and a wife and a Catholic to going to American public school and seeing the disparity in classes and race treatment and things that I think that weren't so plainly obvious to me because I was I was maybe like protected I guess in my first 10 years of my life so in America it was a weird dynamic because my mom was very proud of the fact that her children were American but then because we were American and because we suffered of this like not suffered but experienced this um cultural gap between us and our parents Mm -hmm. We're very different from them. So I became an atheist and a feminist <laughs> and I pretty much sacrificed everything in my life to go to college and go to grad school and like do everything in this like very uh, what America tells you is the American dream for a young right. person, uh, which actually contradicted a lot of what my mother expected out of me. So from a very young age, I had to tell my mom, I don't believe in God. I'm not going to have children. I'm never going to get married. I'm going to go get all these degrees <laughs> that are useless. I'm not going to be a lawyer, you know, like because immigrant parents, they're like, okay, you could go to college, but like if you're going to be a uh, yeah, lawyer or a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I'm going to study art. And then I'm going to study anthropology <laughs> and religion. Yeah. And you're going to hate it. Gender studies. My mom was like, what the fuck is gender studies? <laughs> and it's like, you wanted me to be an American. That's I get to choose, bitch. That's the way it goes. Yeah. Um, so my experience and what the, the person that I am, I think, is made precisely because of the fact that at a very early age, I experienced the fact that like culture is not the only dominant factor of how life can be if at an early age you see different cultures and you see different classes and you see how things change if people have like an, a different economic class versus you or a different racial appearance versus you then your reality of how like this is the one way to live gets shattered and so at a very early age I learned the idea that like life can be a whole bunch of different things um so the person that I am now is somebody that questions like why some people choose to follow traditional paths and why others are incapable almost of following traditional paths and must always like rock the boat and be the black sheep and find something else. And as like, I guess the first, that's not true. There have been plenty of black sheeps in my family, but I am the first woman, maybe. <laughs> I'm the first woman in my family that doesn't have children, that is not married. Um, 
that went to college, all these things. And so I do feel this like sense of responsibility for being something different and unexpected that nobody in my family before thought they could ever be. And I might fall flat on my face and I might not do it perfectly, but just trying to use the opportunity whenever I can seems like the best that I can do to honor every sacrifice and every experience that everybody in my family line had before me. Mm. Did you find when you were going through harder times and things weren't working out when you were depressed that you like you maybe doubled down on a feeling of shame or failure because you're like, but this was me going my own way. And now my entire family is going to look to me as just like, see, that's why, that's why you don't do that. Like, and like now I'm being like a bad example of, uh, you know, uh, the, the idea of going off and being your own person and doing whatever the hell you want. Okay. This is going to sound bad because nobody wants to hear this kind of like, Okay. I didn't ever feel shame mm -hmm. um, about this. What I will say is I felt deep depression and sadness and isolation about it, right? Mm -hmm. Like I felt, I felt very clearly that like every time that I pushed my family away, let's say because I was unwilling to pretend that I'm religious or every time I pushed a lover away because I was unwilling to be a wife and a mother, I felt alone in the world, you know, like I, I felt in that moment, like I was pushing people away and like, maybe what I should do is just like swallow it and do the thing that I feel like I don't want to do just to make sure that I have family and loved ones and I don't die alone and all of that. So I felt, I felt that profound isolation and loneliness, but I didn't feel shame ever about it because I didn't, I didn't feel wrong, Brad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I just you always you didn't doubt yourself that like you yeah. had made the wrong if anything I felt you know I will admit like angsty and misunderstood and I'm slightly embarrassed now as an adult to think about how like I was like such a little drama queen <laughs> about like why don't you get me <laughs> you know and that kind of stuff to my mother who's like a, a literal immigrant a widow who's like fucking working her ass off to take care of her kids and like yeah. doing all this shit and like being like okay well better yourself be a doctor and I'm like oh no I have feelings <laughs> you know I'm like <laughs> So in retrospect, yeah, I feel like a little fucking whiny piece of shit, but I wasn't wrong, <laughs> you know, yeah. and um, I turned 40 this week, right? Happy birthday. And thank you. And the crazy thing is that the older, as I get older, the more I attract people to me that see my point of view or that feel seen by me, by the things that I say, mm -hmm. And therefore, when we find each other, we alleviate that isolation and that loneliness. And it actually makes me feel like, holy shit, I was right. You know, because I, okay, like as an example, uh, when I was like 17, 18, I would say to my mother, to people in my family or to other Latin people, I never want to have children, right? And literally every person would answer me with, Oh, you're saying that now because you're young. Just wait. You, of course, you want babies. You're, you're just being yeah. contrary. <laughs> you know, like they were just so sure that I would obviously change my mind. You know, and I never did. It's been fucking thirty years or some shit. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, I haven't changed my mind. And it is not out of stubbornness. It's out of um, partially out of the fact that like I kept having this feeling that I'm not wrong, but partially out of finding people to connect with that made me feel not crazy and that made me feel like 
just because there's not a lot of us, it doesn't mean that we're wrong and that we can't live life the way we think life should be lived. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I had periods, I guess I would say of, um, yeah, very deep depression and very deep isolation and um, maybe sometimes some self-hatred because I felt like I was making life harder for myself in a way that maybe I didn't have to if I would just go along, you know? Yeah. That was the thing that made me feel bad. It's like, or, or for example, um, my mom, both my brother and I don't want to have children. Yeah. So I feel very guilty sometimes that she will never have a grandchild, <laughs> you know? And then we don't, we both like grew up in a way that we're She's like- She's got Lucy. I know, right? That's what we tell her. And yeah. she plays along, but... Lucy Lucy and, is uh, Luisa's cat. For the <laughs> yeah, and she plays along and she's... Uh, in the last few years, she had... Um, I got I got a lot of shit for like not having kids and not getting married. But then, um, I don't know, probably like six or seven years ago, one day out of nowhere, my mom was just like, I'm so proud of you because you're living a life that I never even thought was possible. And oh, that wow. if I had if I had thought it was possible, I might have wanted it for myself. And what she means is like, I live alone. I take care of myself. I travel alone. I go to dinner alone. I have a lot of good friendships. I have a lot of good lovers, frankly, <laughs> throughout my life. Um, and it was something where she at the beginning was just like, why would you do this? Like, she was like, you're still in college. You're still in school. You could have had two kids by now. That's what she told me at one point when I was in grad school, <laughs> you know, and I was yeah. like, you don't get it. You know, at like 25, I was like, you don't get it. I am having accomplishments that are all mine, that don't belong to anybody. I have no parent that paid for me to go to school. I have no man that paid for me to live so that I could do this. They belong to me and nobody else. And I don't think there is a woman in my lineage that can claim that, right? Yeah. But I can't deny that it is a lonely way to live. Even when I recommend to people that you should be like super honest, radically honest and pick these things that disappoint your loved ones. The warning label on that is it's, it can get lonely. Yeah. 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 How did that feel when your, your mom finally admitted like, Hey, you know what? You're doing fine. I see you and I'm proud of you. Amazing. And can I tell you, I'm almost embarrassed that it felt so good because I have prided myself for a very long time on not defining my identity based on what my parents approve mm. of. But the fact that she approved of the real me, not of a thing that I did for her, you know what I mean? But that she like finally came around to being like, oh, holy shit, you're like a well-rounded individual, self-supported, needs nobody person. That's amazing. It felt great. It's being loved for who, who you actually are. And I, honestly, like, it made me realize, like, everybody who's out there trying to, like, strive for their parents' approval, if you think it feels good when you do the thing they want you to do, it feels a thousand times better when they approve of the thing you wanted to do. You know, when they, like, finally realize, like, oh, no, I was wrong and you were right. Word. Amazing. Yeah. Um. You talk a lot on your show, Why You Mad, about uh, mm -hmm. iconoclasts, and I would definitely consider you to be an iconoclast. Um, oh, thank you. I'm, I'm not, I don't remember the numbers. You went through all the different numbers. This is another <laughs> one of the things I wanted to get into. But, um, you know, I, I he, listening to you talk about all of that and, and having such a, a certainty of yourself, like, I mean... I got to say, I'm mad jealous of that because like I 
have this thing where I can, the reason I don't like, I try and do canvassing and, and stuff like that. And I try and engage in like political debate when I can, but I'm so bad at it because I instantly, if somebody's like arguing back at me, I get so flustered and get so like weighted down by like feeling bad that they don't like what I'm doing or some shit that I'm yeah. like, oh, they're right. Even if it's somebody who I like, I completely fucking disagree with. And like, I can walk away and just be like, wait a minute. No, fuck them. At the time, I'm just like, yeah, they're right. I am a hipster little bitch. They're <laughs> right. I'm a soy boy little cuck, you know, and like, and then I'm just like, no, wait, fuck that guy. Like, I don't care. Yeah. And, but like at the time, I just can't. I can't do it. And so like it's been the only reason that I'm out doing a thing that like this living the you know stupid life of a artist with art school debt and being a big dumbass um is because I had extremely supportive parents, you know? <laughs> like yeah. and, and like they were just like, "Yeah, go for it. We want this for you." Like from the get-go. Love that. Yeah. I never had to like rebel against them. And so now like when I do have to like stand up for myself or even like go against even like, especially I guess going against uh, the will or the approval of people who I like, you know, um, yeah. who, I, who I want their approval. Like, I'm just like, Oh no. Like now, like my friend is mad at me and I don't, I don't want to like, I don't want to disappoint them. Like, you know, like it's, just, yeah. it's I'm just such a little, you know, what's uh, funny that that makes me think of is like, okay, okay, this is something I think about a lot, because obviously, like, what everybody should have is supportive parents that love them and want them to do whatever it yeah. is that makes them happy. And then provide them with a like good environment where they can explore all those ideas. All of that stuff is great, right? But then now we're like, I think we're like encountering this cultural things where we're like, oh, but if you have that kind of childhood, then you end up being like soft and afraid of conflict. Right. That's what we mean by soft is yeah. like maybe not afraid <laughs> of conflict, but not good in the face of conflict. Let's no, you're say, right. right. I'm afraid of. <laughs> no, yeah, no. And, I, and it's, this isn't a thing on you, but I think like that is a result of something that I've seen. It's like if you have had a a comfortable life and a supportive family and everything is great, then you have not experienced conf conflict too much in your life. And therefore you don't have too many skills to deal with it. Yeah. And I think that that's completely normal. And then what happens um, for a lot of us who from a whole different bunch of backgrounds who have experienced conflict very early on conflict becomes a normal part of life. You mm. know what I mean? And so that's why like something that like, you know, like sometimes I think you encounter people that are like poor or I don't know, that seem very aggressive, <laughs> right? And I'm like, they seem aggressive because their whole life has been conflict. And so they are very comfortable dealing with yeah. pushing back on conflict, right? Even if they don't win on it every time, even if they know there's bad results, sometimes when you push back on, on, on a conflicting situation, yeah. our experience is conflict is a normal part of life and therefore you have to like learn to deal with it and what i've realized is that it's like a double-edged sword right um a lot of us who are good at dealing with conflict and are good at being like um assertive and confident in our own opinions and that kind of thing we're really strong individuals who can reach within ourselves and like communicate our ideas and stand strong behind them and all of that but we often have the weakness on the other side, which is of like 
forming connections with other people, being vulnerable, listening to others. I think that's those are all things that I have to actively work at to be good at. And I think that the people who are like conflict avoidant are conflict avoidant precisely because they're good at building connections with others. Mm. And they understand that conflict is a um, impediment to building a connection. And so it's less of a thing where I'm like, oh, I'm right and they're wrong or they're right and I'm wrong. I think it's like a thing where we have to meet in the middle and people like me who are comfortable with conflict and loss and death need to understand that it's not always like that. We don't always need to be on the defensive or on the attack. And we can learn from some of the people who are more like network builders and feelings listeners, you know, and all these things in the same way that those people can learn from us to be confident in your opinion and speak, speak up for yourself in situations and don't shy away from conflict, you know? Yeah, no, it takes all kinds. And and that's, that's kind of one of my favorite things about, I don't know, just humanity in general is the idea that you can move through life. And if you're in good enough of a headspace, if your mental health, physical health, you know, if your material needs are met, then you have this opportunity to meet all these other people who don't function. They're like the machine, literally their brain that makes them who they are functions entirely different than yours. We talked about this. And so you have an opportunity like um, you're not a big gamer. Jake would get this reference. I don't know if you <laughs> would. Uh, Mega Man. He no. um, he's a video game character. He, he he fights enemies and then he gains their powers. And okay, he like picks up a tool from them and gets their gets their weapon basically. So you can kind of do that with just people, and you meet people, and you like take certain strengths from them if you see a strength in that person and you have an opportunity to do that but like yeah again you have to have your your shields down in a in a, in a way to like not write the person off immediately yeah exactly i think um that a part of me really li- i've lived in new york for about 10 years and i think a part of me really wanted to move here because it's a very conflict heavy city I had the choice of I was thinking of moving to L.A. or New York, and I decided that I wanted to move to New York because it was like actively harder and more aggressive and like just a like a just yeah. a more difficult, cramped, you know, place to live. And where conflict is like sort of a di- like you get into like arguments on the street and shit like that. And I was like, I like that energy because I am so conflict avoidant yeah. that like. I have all this fucking unchecked rage and energy inside of me that like, it's one of my biggest things that yeah. I have to deal with. Like that's, I, I, I'm doing kickboxing. Like I'm doing, you know, like I have all this fury in me because I'm not having the fights when I need to have them. That's very funny. Um, this comic named Zila Vodness, she's very she funny. She was on the she... show, friend of the show, Zila Vodness. Oh, great. She's, great. she's awesome. So Z- Zila, she tweeted something today where she was like, she was talking about the mayoral race, but it was pretty funny because it like stung a little bit because she said something like, oh, um, I don't know. She called transplants to to New York. Um, she compared us to... Oh, I saw this tweet. To, did you see that? To yeah. cats who saw their their reflection in a mirror for the first time, and that's why you feel like you are a New Yorker now. <laughs> Which is like, <laughs> that is so funny. So, that is hilarious. I 100% was a cat 
that just saw my reflection for the first time ever in a mirror when I came to New York to visit. Yeah. <clears throat> because of this exact thing, because in Miami, where it's like a tropical place and everybody's fucking chill and shit, I seemed like really goth and uptight. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Because I was like <clears throat> seeking out conflict or fine with it or I don't know. I just um, I, I guess you could say I sought out conflict because I wanted to argue with like all of my Cuban neighbors about their politics, with right. all of the Catholic <laughs> people around me about their fucking religious shit about abortion. I was seeking out conflict. You know what I mean? Like I, I was a raver. I was a goth in every way that I could externalize. I don't want to be a part of this community. You wrecked a lot of Thanksgiving. <laughs> I did it. Exactly. Yes, yeah. I wrecked a lot of Thanksgivings. So... <clears throat> When I came to New York, I had this fucking cat in a mirror moment that Zilla identified perfectly where I was like, oh, we can exchange some words angrily about how you bumped into me and then we move on with our life. Perfect. This is great. I'm comfortable with it. <laughs> I had people being like, hey, asking me for directions. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Here's what you got to do. I can give you directions with a bad attitude. That's I belong here. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like a very comfortable here. And so it is really kind of fun to hear the other side of that of wanting to move here because you didn't feel comfortable with that but like you felt like the challenge was like something you wanted I to I felt like on. I needed yeah, yeah. Get, like you used the word soft earlier and I was like yeah, yeah like that's the thing like I feel so soft <laughs> yeah. all the time which is why yeah. like now in my 30s I'm pursuing all this like aggressively masculine shit just by being like i'm gonna box i'm gonna get a fucking motorcycle (laughs) i'm gonna fucking like you know just just being like about everything because like you know and and even living in new york i just feel so comfortable walking down the street like with my hands in my pockets and a scowl on my face and i just feel like yeah fuck you like you know i like looking unapproachable (laughs) just because you know I, i mean again midwest culture the like my background is so like everybody's so polite and you wave mm-hmm. at everybody who you cross paths with and you might start a conversation with just anybody checking out at the grocery store, like whatever, you know, and you get looked at weird when like I always like to try and chat it up with my fucking like bodega guy, you mm-hmm. know, and, and like learn his name and stuff. Cause it's like, well, cause he's, you know, he's like, he's yeah, helping see him me out. He's, yeah. Yeah, see him <laughs> yeah. every day. He gets me fucking like, Ben and Jerry's when I need it anytime. Yeah. So like, you know, I, I want to know his name. His name's Pina. Shout out to Pina. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I don't know, like just coming from such a nice, uh, friendly, you know, nice in quotes, friendly area. Well, that's what I was going like, to tell you. There's that, you know, the, ter- the term Minnesota nice. What that no. actually, there's a term called Minnesota I nice. I can already, I can already it's, imagine. It's already, but define it like, for yeah, me. you already know. Um, it's, it's basically just passive aggressiveness. Well, so, okay. So that's that's what what I was going to tell you. I've traveled to the Midwest mostly for comedy festivals and stuff, but like, you know, I grew up, um, in, in South America mostly until I was like 10, 11, 12. And then I have lived in LA, in Miami. And so mostly I've always lived in like diasporas around like other Latinos. You know what I mean? Like I've never really... Until I moved to New York, I didn't really experience being a minority, to be honest with you. And so then when I went to the Midwest, it was like a totally different feeling. Because in New York, you get the feeling of like, oh, you're no longer the dominant culture because there's so many different cultures, you know, which I was like, okay, that's fine. I can adjust to that. But then I went to the Midwest and it was a feeling of like 
I've never felt so like such an outsider before mm. is when I went to the Midwest. Everybody was very nice and polite to me, but it was in this way where it was like they looked me up and down and like it was very clear that you don't think I'm one of you and I'm not from around here and you want to quickly ask me where I'm from and what I'm doing. here, <laughs> You know, like very suspicious in a way where like the conversations that you talk about and like with the bodega guys, I don't think they ever become like judgmental in this way of like nobody in the bodega is feeling like you're being judged like you don't belong here. Yeah. It's very just like, oh, you're like a weird white dude and you're like a weird (laughs) Latino. Like they have a category for all of us. Yeah. So we all belong in the bodega. (laughs) You know what I mean? But I've been in like Bloomington, you know, like places where I'm like, oh, clearly like I don't belong here. And you Mm -hmm. guys can tell right when you look at me and you make it clear that you can tell. So culturally, it's pretty weird, this like passive aggressive thing that you're talking about, right? Because um, like as Latina, as a Latina person, um, I have to tell my mom all the time to like change the way she says things, you know, for like work because we sound aggressive, (laughs) right? Because I'm like, everybody thinks we're mad because we're like passionate speakers (laughs) and it just seems like we're mad all the time. But it's because we're direct and because we um, get our feelings involved as we like have a conversation and we let them be shown so our voice can raise. But it's never like we hate you, you know, like at the end of us yelling at you about something, it'll be like, cool, do you want something to eat? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. whereas I have had very polite conversations with Midwest people where at the end of it, I'm like, oh, I should leave. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. oh, they don't want me here at all. <laughs> you know, yeah. it can happen. Very different energies. Yeah. Um, so your story about the, uh, uh, SAT, I was going to say, uh, it doesn't surprise me that you could get a high score on an SAT, uh, on acid because you're just like, I mean, this is going to sound like I'm, you know, uh, blowing smoke up your ass or whatever. You're just incredibly fucking smart. You're super fucking smart. And so like, I was... I had almost like a, like, I have like an, I don't know, like an embarrassment of riches of like questions to ask you because I just feel like I can pick a topic. Um, like, I don't know, just the comedy industry, mental health, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, anthropology, like anthropology Listen, as it relates to mental health. I'm like, she can just go on it. Yeah. Ask me any of those things. I okay. will tell you this. I will tell you that my mother uh my so uh, you've heard about this thing like i'm trying to live like a single faceted life where i don't pretend to be anybody else for anyone else so my mom is aware of like uh my attitudes towards sex relationships drugs all of that yeah and one of the things that's burned into my brain bread is that when my mom found out about how much acid i do i did like in high school and stuff literally this woman just looked at me and she goes Imagine how much smarter you'd be if you didn't do all those drugs. Come on. What? I know. And it fucking has. I've never forgotten it because I'm like, could this bitch be right? Holy shit. I don't think so. (laughs) I mean, maybe. Maybe. (laughs) I think you. Well, maybe I'd be a doctor. (laughs) I don't know, though. I don't know. Like, I think intelligence runs in so many different ways, honestly. I agree. And, you know, there is something to be said. I didn't start smoking weed until I was 25. I didn't start doing, like, hallucinogens really until I was close to my 30s. And I didn't start drinking alcohol until 29. Weird. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We'll circle back around to that. Yeah. And I started weed at 20, but I started hallucinogens at 15. 
Okay. Huh. Yeah. So I went straight to all hallucinogens. And then because my parents smoked weed, ah. so I couldn't I couldn't rebel by smoking weed like that was lame. You know, that's what my parents is did. That like a, is that like a like a normcore Colombian thing? Like everybody in Colombia smokes weed or what? How did that? No, actually, to be honest with you. Um, so I, I've talked about this in the past since like not. I mean, the thing is, I. I am past the point of defining myself through who my parents are. So I, I right. avoid bringing this up. But the reality is that my uh, dad was a narco trafficker and my mom was his young wife. Right. So they both smoked weed, but they didn't do any of their drugs. But in my life in South America, I literally never saw anybody do drugs in front of me until I moved to America. And then in America, it was like all the young kids did drugs in front of me and my parents smoked weed. Right. So when I mean, you when were I in would Miami, see, so that's, in Miami. Yeah. yeah. And so then when I would see like young kids smoke weed, I'd be like, that's so lame. Like, that's what my parents do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, it would be like you being like, oh, I want to have a martini when you were 15 or whatever. I'd be like, God, what the fuck are you, 40? <laughs> like, right. what are you doing? Um, so I just wasn't tempted by it. But then when I was presented with the opportunity to do hallucinogens, I was like, like, hell yeah, absolutely. Parents 100% against it. Let's do it. That's what I want to do. So yeah. I didn't try weed until I was in college. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's something to be said for... I. Also, I don't know. I feel like maybe... Yeah, hallucinogens maybe do less to your brain than, than other types of drugs might i don't know but like this is all very uh soft science from a, a guy who doesn't know shit about fuck yeah. um but uh it seems like the common wisdom is if you're smoking weed before you turn like 16 18 it arguably does have kind of an effect on how your brain forms and stuff so i'm but so glad. does acid it's gonna yeah, have some I, I mean, effect it must probably but i don't i was also like I was prescribed Adderall when I was like, not Adderall, uh, Ritalin and then moved on to Adderall mm, by the time I was okay. in high school. But like I was in like grade school taking that shit. Yeah. You know, like, so I was also yeah. like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, well, so that's the thing is uh, during those ages, um, any drugs that we were taking, whether they were prescribed or not, they do affect the development of your neural pathways. And if I were a serious scientist, if I hadn't perhaps done all the drugs I did <laughs> and I was a serious right. scientist, one of the things that interest, interested me always is, and like one of the, the reasons I went to anthropology, to comedy even, is, uh, Brad, I still can't figure it out. Um, why is it that some humans are happy to like follow the beaten path and it makes yeah. them happy and they find satisfaction in like walking the same path that their parents and grandparents and great grandparents walked and believing in the same God and marrying a guy from their same town and you know, there's their high school sweetheart and never questioning anything, being a Republican for the sixth generation in a row. Like they're happy. Some of them are out there happy being that. Right. So what is different between those people and those of us who can't help but see that there's like a box and that there are other things outside of this box? Because ultimately, like, I don't think it is helpful like it's not a happy um how should i say like as a if you were thinking in terms of like evolutionary health yeah what is healthier is to go along with the pack because you will be part of the pack and be protected and be ensured that you will continue to reproduce etc cetera, etc cetera, right yeah 
So it is actually um, anti-evolutionary in some ways, or maybe like branches that are breaking off from the healthiest evolutionary path when those of us who are like resistant to what's expected of us, who question the narratives that are handed to us, who don't cooperate with like the socialization that should be expected from us. And I, I don't think it's intelligence, it's not experience, it's not class, um, because I've met people outside of every one of these categories who fall into the like black sheep, right? Breaking yeah. molds, being lonely, uh, hurting yourself even by being such a iconoclast, let's say. And I, I still can't figure it out. And it's interesting to me that science doesn't care to try to figure it out, <laughs> but it is probably the thing that drives me the most and that interests me in artists the most, because I think artists are this like um, pinpoint where you can see that struggle happening, right? Yeah. Where like artists exist in this world where they're like so much trying to be accepted and be loved and be part of the whole and be part of the canon. And yet what makes you a great artist is your ability to see outside the box and destroy the systems and question and criticize. Mm. So how do you live with both of those things inside of you? How do we exist in a world that expects one thing from us and we're the other? Why are we like, <laughs> that is what drives me, Brad. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it yeah. could, I mean, the same could be said that those people throughout history were the ones who were, inventing things and moving society along in a lot of ways yeah you know for better or worse with the industrial revolution no and, but listen like everything so, that's come of it like maybe maybe right. if we didn't fucking exist uh, we, we'd all still be hunter gatherers and the planet wouldn't be in peril but uh, no oh well oops here we are absolutely not i think the thing that we have to like figure out is that someone like nietzsche uh -huh. who was like a genius of his time, but died feeling alone and misunderstood and never connected with somebody moved humanity forward just as much as like the cow girl or like the milk girl who had 17 children, <laughs> you know, like yeah. uh, humanity is a species that gets propelled forward, both through the traditional systems of like continue to rep like reproduce. Right. You need to reproduce the ideas that lead to more reproduction and also the counterculture ideas that lead to innovation, that lead to critical shifts, that lead to um, developments of new ideas. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of it as less as like we're, we're um, an antithesis to each other and more like we are different we're doing we're different spokes in the wheel that are still headed in the same direction but we just perform different functions amazing you just came up with that shit yeah right now oh my god <laughs> you're, so you're so fucking smart um you talk on your show a lot about parasocial relationships um yeah. and it's something that's really fascinating to me because uh i feel like i mean i've developed parasocial relationships for sure with a lot of like podcasts that I'm really into, including mm -hmm. yours, you know, yeah. where like I've talked about this before where like, um, I'll see something, you know, I'll see some like King of the Hill meme or like a cowboy bebop thing. And I'll be like, I should send this to my friend, Jake. He'll really <laughs> think this is funny. And it's like, he's yeah. not, he's not your, he met you once. Uh, he, mm -hmm. he might think you're okay. Who knows? Like, you know, like, um, he's not like your buddy, you know? And like, I have 
trouble processing sometimes those like boundaries with people or like what they want or like I worry that I like overwhelm um, because I'm so enthused. And especially in this last year where every relationship became parasocial for a minute there. Totally, yeah. And mm -hmm. then we were all so excited to see our friends again and hug them and like share a joint with them. And, and then all you're like, are stuff. we friends though? I yeah, actually never just, met you before. I, this. Exactly. Yeah. I, I have the same relationship. Yeah. And, you know, and then like I still get to meet people who like I've gotten into their podcast and I like finally get to talk to them and meet them in person. And I'm just like, listen you don't know what you've gotten me through. You know, like, I don't want to be too intense, but like, I'd die for you, brother. Yeah. Like, you know, like it's yeah. just, it's just like a little much. And, um, it's interesting I, that, that that's a thing that you talk about on your show. You talked about the King of comedy and like, you know, even, I don't know, like, uh, rabid podcast fans and how like, yeah. that's, the dark flip side of that like you get like you know yeah. people going fucking crazy and like sending death threats and shit like it's it's something i think about a lot right because i mean you're right about the fact that the last year forced all of our relationships to be parasocial relationships yeah. but even before that like you know, uh, not to bring Nietzsche up again. Um, not to bring Nietzsche up again. Yeah, but like he was one that like, you know, this fucking white privileged dude. It's so weird to me that he like, you know, he was like a rich kid basically who like disappointed his dad <laughs> and disappointed and like didn't get married and yeah. didn't do the things they wanted because he wanted to like study shit and write things that nobody liked, <laughs> you know? And in his own time, he was considered a pariah and like people didn't want him at parties because he's a fucking yeah. bummer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, he's fucking annoying. And like the Can woman that liked him. you imagine being at a party with fucking Nietzsche standing yeah, there? Exactly. Like, oh, he's you're, you're unbearable. <laughs> Absolutely. But yet, like people study his words 250 years later or whatever. And yet this man who was such a genius and had such insights still on his deathbed one of the last things that he wrote about was about how he never ever felt seen you yeah. know like he never like all he ever wanted was to meet a person who saw the world the way that he saw it that made him feel like he wasn't crazy that made him feel like there was like a uh, a place for of relief from mm -hmm. the onslaught of existence okay that's like the way that he put it and yet he never found it in his life, Brad. Yeah. And to me, whenever people are like, I need a break from Twitter and I need a break from social media and this shit is like so much, I can't handle it. I understand. I understand where you're coming from. And I see how social media can be an overwhelming negative thing to some people and sometimes. Yeah. But I, I see it as an overwhelmingly positive thing because it grants you the opportunity to not die like Nietzsche. It grants you the opportunity to meet even one person who thinks that you are smart and that you are saying a thing that they understand. And so to me, this like parasocial relationship, or at least what I've been trying to do is like, I'm trying to shoot my shot, I guess is the yeah. way to put it. It's like, there are people whose podcasts I listen to or whose Twitter I follow that I'm like, oh, I really, I think that we should be friends. You know, like, yeah. I think we would have things in common. I listen to you. I value your opinions. I value you as a person. I value your values. And I think the only thing that we can do is shoot our shot when we feel confident in that way and, and approach them in a respectful, like, way that is like, I really like you and I would like to get to know you better right. and be your friend or whatever. And I've had mixed results is the reality. 
Um, I've had it turn out really, really well and made some really great connections with some people and had great conversations even because to me, a great connection can be a one hour long conversation that's fantastic and we never talk to each other again or like a person that is going to be in my life for the rest of my life. But I've also had um, recently I had someone that I like misread the kind of relationship that they wanted. So I think I became like the annoying person. (laughs) There was like DMing too much and he didn't really want to talk to me anymore. Yeah, totally. I, you know, we're all, we all, we're there, but the point is like, you need to recognize when you get there and then be walk it back (laughs) and be like, sorry, I did not mean to impose on you with my desire to connect with you. That's unfair. Right. And I've had another one where I think they also wanted to connect with me, but we honestly didn't have that much in common once we talked, <laughs> you know? So it was yeah. like a thing where it was like, oh, well, that's sad. It seemed like we could have connected, but like, I guess we don't have stuff in common. So yeah. you walk away. And I just think that maybe this is what we have to accept if we are trying to have like genuine connections with people. It means being vulnerable enough to try to like put yourself out there and be like, yeah, I, I like what you have to say and I, I would like to have you in my life and I think you would like me in your life and be willing to accept that sometimes it's not going to work out and sometimes they're going to say no thank you and sometimes yeah. they're going to say no thank you even more rudely than that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you got to yeah. just steal yourself to that. I mean, it's like dating. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, except like... I, that was another, I mean, that was an uncomfortable gauntlet that I forced myself through. And that was a New York thing too. That was just like, yeah. I'm gonna get on the apps and you fucking know that dating is insane in New York yeah. city. So like, I was just like, I, I was, uh, I was always, uh, awkward and kind of, uh, I don't know, lovesick kid. And, yeah. um, so dating like i was the overly eager person you know like i would get the crush and i would be too much and i would misread the situation and like it was just like tragic over and over like you know that that's so new to me but so but um, can i tell you i'm proud of you i don't regret my missteps i wish that i had been like you earlier on because i think it is far more brave to have your heart on your sleeve Mm. than to be like too cool to show your feelings Mm. All those people that thought you were like too much. Yeah. I think they weren't enough. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and I'm saying this as somebody who like recently tried it and I'm recognizing when like you have to pull back. Right. Because I've also had like a guy that won't take no for an answer. I'm not saying it should be that, you know, I'm not saying you should keep pushing when somebody doesn't want you. yeah. Yeah. But it is worth the risk of getting rejected to just be honest and be like one time, put it out there. I would like to spend time with you, (laughs) you know, in whatever context it is that you would like to spend. So again, it's one of these things where it's not one side is right. And one side is wrong. We got to meet in the middle of like, both sides need to be more vulnerable, less desperate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's what I'm discovering is, you know, like making new friends. I mean, you've talked about this too, like being in your thirties and like being like an adult who's like, I'm going to make new friends, you know, like that's, weird to people Um, (laughs) but i'm i'm also like whatever you meet people throughout your life like this is how it works now i don't know um also you know yeah we live in the biggest city in america you meet people all the fucking time um but you know 
I'm approaching that now and the end result is just like friendship and creative collaboration and things like that. Uh, whereas I pushed myself through that gauntlet when it came to dating because the end result was sex. And that is a yeah. much better motivator for than me. like football game. Would, yeah. yeah. Than, than yeah. just like, hey, maybe we'll like get drinks and, you know, like have like a boy's day and you know, like that's yeah. great, but like no nobody sex nobody is comes, better. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. So um yeah, so I think that was the you know, the motivation that just like made me just like, okay, you know what? I'm just I'm gonna get as many rejections as I can get. I'm just yeah. gonna keep fucking just shooting my shot on on the on the apps and just I'm gonna keep saying hi to people and not take it personal if I don't get anything back. And then eventually it was fine. And like it didn't it didn't hurt anymore. And I think that's I mean, that's what that's how stand ups often approach there. Well, yeah, no, too. I was gonna like, say to your to your point, I think I did a similar similar thing, which I guess as a woman, it wasn't probably as much like rejection, but right. it was more like bad experiences, right? Which meant like I would say yes to dates and then I would get there and I would have a bad experience, right? Which could be anything from like this person was just not interesting to like this person was almost like abusive or terrifying or something like yeah. that. Right. Yeesh. Yeah. So it can be really crazy, but I think both things of experiencing like a lot of rejection or experiencing a lot of um, scary and like out of your control situations yeah. leads you to like clarify what it is that you are looking for. Like experience is experience, you know, like, I I don't understand people who like let's say they want to get married and they want to have a particular type of relationship and this number of children but they go on like one date a year you know what I mean and they're like yeah. never they don't explore or like have experiences that push their boundaries so to me it's like how do you figure out what you like if you never really experience anything that forces you to deal with what you don't like yeah. So that you can clarify that and, and deal with it when it happens. But, you know, maybe some people have a different way of looking at things. So. I guess so. I don't know. Hang on just a second. Um, can oh, I, yeah. I, I need to go get a, um, can we take a beverage a break? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay, I'll be I'll right back. I've been, did I, I tweeted about it, but it turns out that I have been going to bed really early because I bought decaf coffee by accident. <laughs> <laughs> and there I literally, for like two weeks, I've been like, I'm so sleepy. I don't know what's going That's on. That's an interesting <laughs> way to like quit caffeine though, because did you have headaches that it's you couldn't explain? No. And then because what's up is today when I realized that coffee. it was decaf. Yes. And so today when I, dude, it's so fucked up. No, I didn't get a headache, but I fucking was the whole day. I was like, I'm so sleepy. Oh my God, now that I know I'm not drinking caffeine in the morning, I'm so sleepy. <laughs> like it's messed up. The placebo effect went away. Wow. This <laughs> is like, no, it's not working. So um you're somebody who's very, you know, you're very peripheral to stand up. Um, you mm -hmm. you book shows and you know a lot of comedians. Um and I I mean, I I mean, I'm not in the same uh league as far as far as like booking shows or anything like that but like i am also peripheral to a lot of stand-ups i talk to a lot of them for my podcast um i'm friends with a lot of them uh what is it to you that like drew you to stand up um you know as as like a thing that you wanted to be around and also um have you ever tried to perform 
Um, and, and why aren't you, uh, a, a, just a comedian yourself? Hmm. Okay. So that's a compound question. I know. But. Yeah. Compound. And I think that uh, it's all related, so I can't even separate them out, but like I, um, so I moved to the United States when I was like 11, right? Yeah. Like I was born here, but then I moved back to South America. And then when I was 11, I moved back and watching TV, like I didn't have cable in Miami. So we had like three channels. And then what would happen was that at like midnight, they would start playing comedy specials on some channels. And then on some channels would be like infomercials. Right. Mm -hmm. And then around 3 a.m. They would just play like the um, anthem and the fucking Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. And then it would be like scribbles. Right. So I was this like insomniac kid who barely knew English and I would stay up and I would just like switch between these three channels and I could either watch some infomercial about some fucking squeegee or whatever, or I could watch these like stand up specials. And mm. all of a sudden I'm seeing like Paula Poundstone yeah. and the amazing Jonathan and Red Fox and uh, just like all kinds of people like. You know, I'm 11. I've never talked to a black lesbian or, a, you know, like a magician, a yeah. like white guy magician. And I've never seen this art form where a person just walks on stage and they're the only one on stage and they just talk the whole time. Yeah. Did I've you never see seen it as an like art this. form from the get go? Like even when you were from kid, the like, get go. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, a performance, you know, like in South America, something that we have a lot is like troubadours, I guess uh -huh. is what you would call them, which is like um, like mariachis. Mexicans have mariachis. Right. Yeah. Um, in South America, I guess they dress similar, but they're not mariachis because that's a specifically uh, sorry, Mexican thing. They're troubadours. You know, they're basically like a little band that travels and they do sometimes funny songs, sometimes romantic songs, like at request, you know, and you give yeah. them money. And so a lot of the um, media and art in South America when I grew up there was like based around troubadours or like variety shows kind of things where it would be like characters, um, musical fucking acts, that kind of shit. But I had never seen this just like a person just with one microphone just talking about their opinions and their life and like being gay and being black and being like all these different things that I just never heard. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it was one of the first. Like, I almost feel like I learned English watching stand up. It was one of the first things that I saw that was like a documentation of different experiences of people struggling to figure out the world around them and their place in it and what they had to say about it. Um, and then at the same time, like making people laugh, you know? So like, even when I went to grad school and I became an anthropologist, like I felt like standups were doing a similar thing to what I was doing, but I would write 40 pages of boring shit about it. <laughs> and they would write 10 minutes of very funny jokes about their observations. And once I really started to study art, stand-up became this thing where, um, for me, it is the example of, like, it's the best example of the way that um, art is synthesized by society and society is synthesized by art, mm -hmm. right? Because of the quick timeline and turnaround and stand-up, 
uh, a comic can have an experience today, whether it's reading the news or like something somebody said to them on Twitter, and then tonight they can get on stage and have the first draft of what they want to say about that thing that happened. And then they get immediate feedback from an audience that says boo, (laughs) or that says yay, that was funny, and they laugh. And then they make an adjustment based on that feedback. And then the next time they perform it the next day, it's slightly adjusted. And then it's like um, this like in real time interaction of art production and critical reception, and then adjustment based on the critical reception. And therefore it means it is um, like a Petri dish, a very like clear vision of how the artist is created by how society affects them. And then the art that they make affects the society that they put it out into. Whereas like, for example, like a painter, um, it takes like a, you know, several months for a painting to dry and for ideas to be put out there and you don't really get feedback until you get a whole show. And so that means you have to have 25 paintings and get into a gallery and do whatever a sculptor. It takes you over a year to finish whatever sculpture you're doing. I was a sculptor. That was my original art form. Mm. It's the, the reason that everybody's like mad at statues and like everybody's like tearing them down and whatever is because statues are an art form of the past. They exist in the past. When you have the idea of like, I'm going to make this sculpture, it is automatically a past idea because it is about paying reverence or tribute to something that already happened. And then it takes you so long to execute it and so long to get it out into the public view that by the time that the public sees it, it's an outdated idea. (laughs) So that's why people, nobody's making, nobody's making modern. Yeah. Yeah. About about today's Twitter's main Exactly. Or about gender or about, Yeah. yeah, there's, they're like, Sculpture is a an art form that its timeliness belongs to the past. It they're trying to the do past. this thing uh, where they're building a... I, I think it's maybe happening or it's done now, finally. They were building a RoboCop statue in Detroit. <laughs> that would be great. I think it's pretty awesome. I love yeah, RoboCop. Yeah, that's pretty great. Um, it's, still a, it's still to the past, though. But yeah, but like to me, like that was... It's a nostalgia it was like weird. sculpture. Yeah, but that, that was the first time that something that was like, oh, that's something from my lifetime that's getting committed to like a statue other than, I guess, 9-11. There's that all just means of, you're like, getting old. Shit to that. Yeah, that's true. Um, yep. So talk a little bit about uh, paint, uh, sculpture and, and, and painting. I see you, the, you did some of those paintings uh, that are up uh, behind you, right? Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> that's how lame I am. All the paintings in my house are by me. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but uh, painting... And sculpture. Um, well, I guess it was like a moment of split for me because I uh, once upon a time I thought my I thought of myself as a sculptor and an artist, and I thought that my role in life was to be expressive about my ideas. But then eventually I changed my mind, and I thought that my role was to be an observer and somebody who tries to understand the ideas of humanity and tries to Um, translate them in an academic sense. Which is why you don't perform stand-up, you curate stand-up. Exactly. So I was never interested in being a performer. I've never done an open mic. I've never done anything like... Not one. Wow. Yeah. So the podcast is the only thing where I'm up front. And if you like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. If you listen to like the first five Why You Mads, like I sound nervous and you terrible. Sound fun. You, no, you sound fun. No, it's so bad because I'm fun. like so scared. I've literally never heard my voice recorded before it's in rough. those episodes. That's a, that's <laughs> yeah. a rough adjustment. Like 
so I, rough. I, I get like mm-hmm. this was another thing where like like with dating, I had to just run myself through the com- uh, yeah. gauntlet of discomfort to just be like, you're gonna have to edit your stupid fucking voice and all your ums and duhs. And yeah, you're such <sighs> a stupid fuck. Nobody likes you. Nobody likes your fucking podcast. You know, and like, and it just. Like I had to just keep doing that. I every absolutely week to had myself. that that self hate narrative. You're Ugh. so right. I earlier had said I've never had something like that, but I absolutely had to listen to my own voice. Like I was like, why would anybody listen to this? For what <laughs> it's like, worth, I know I'm yeah. biased, but you you're, yeah. you're a natural on the mic. You you are extremely. Uh, you're very well. You're articulate. You know how to express a very complex idea. Just like that, simply. like uh, yeah, simply well, and off, off the but top of your I go. appreciate that. I appreciate that because I am. That is what I'm trying to do: is like communicate my ideas simply and not in a way where, like, my point is not to be like, "Oh, look, I am smarter than you. I read this thing that you didn't read." No, I want to communicate these ideas simply to everybody that I know because I might find the people I connect with if you get these ideas that I am vibing yeah. with. You know what I mean? I mean, but, those are, yeah, those are my favorite people. Who are people yeah. who like can understand really deep scientific yeah. uh uh ideas and notions concepts but yeah concepts and can but can distill like carl sagan is one of my yeah. favorite like you know public figures yeah. ever because he could do that he could like understand this shit that like most of our stupid brains couldn't process and he's yeah. like here's the deal here's here's what this is well but so i've had um jake and some friends from other podcasts and stuff have talked to us about like doing live shows and it really freaks me out brad because Mm. i've never been on a stage with a microphone i don't think i can be on a stage with people looking at me while i'm trying to talk like that is not i'm not a performer like the only way that i have managed to do a podcast and be a podcast podcast guest is by drawing on the confidence of who I am as a person and the things that I have to say, you know what I mean? Like very deeply being like, Oh, this is not about like who's listening or who the show is for, but like, who am I and what would I like to present? Which I do think is the opposite of how performers perform because performers, if you're a good performer, it is about thinking about what the audience wants from you and what you're willing to give from that. I guess to them and I don't think in that way at all. So what terrifies me is that I don't think I can put on a good show because I'm not thinking about the audience. I'm not. If I think about the audience, I will crumble and not want to do this because I'm not mm. a performer. But then I think that it's made me realize that performers maybe are having the mirror image problem of like, they can figure out what an audience wants from them. You all can figure out what an audience wants from you. But then it throws into question what, what's your real you yeah you know and it's again one of these things where it's like mirror images of a coin where there's a downside to being strong on one thing and being weak on the other yeah i don't know i mean i i've thought about that a lot in terms of my own podcast and like so my history with stand-up is like i've been enthused about it i i think very much like jake um like I grew up watching like Comedy Central and shit and being like, yeah, this is fun. Like I like the idea of stand up. I like the I I you know, I like c- comedy as a concept. But it wasn't until I saw like uh the comedians of comedy and that like alt Loved comedy it. thing. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, oh, this is Same. like a, a thing that can be like a punk rock art form. Interesting. So um I've done open mics, but yeah, I never got to like any point where I like I had 
anything really like because yeah. you know like you know as you know it takes years to even be remotely good so i was i started the podcast thinking like i may never actually step on stage again um but i still want to interface with other people who are capable of doing that um so like this is this is the way i can like vicariously live in the world of stand-up almost like just like as like a supporter in this way until like maybe someday i like build up enough like mental uh i don't know strength and like pull myself out of depression enough to like actually do shit but no you can do it i think i think honestly okay what i would tell you is um you know, okay, like look at painting for me. Yeah. Painting was not my primary art form, right? I went to I went to art school for sculpture, mm-hmm. but the school that I went to required you to have a secondary studio art, right? Sure. That you had to put in like equal amount of hours too. So I put in for painting. And once I moved in moved to New York, um it was pretty impossible to do sculpture because uh, the kind of thing that I did was carving stone, and so it produces a lot of like stone dust basically that you can't really throw away anywhere in New York City so there was no way for me to do sculpture here so I was like I'll paint right and painting is something that I technically know how to do right I have been taught I went to a school I know the 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 technique of painting I don't think that I have a grand vision as a painter I don't think I'm a fantastic painter that should be in a museum Mm-hmm. I enjoy the process of painting. Yeah. I enjoy mixing colors. I enjoy completing my canvas. I enjoy putting it on the wall because it's finished. You know what I mean? Yeah. And therefore, I am completely content with just doing that, running the process, mixing the colors, finishing the painting, putting it on the wall. I even, when I finish a painting, have been known to um, gesso it over and then just start a new painting on the same canvas, right? Because I don't really care about keeping the final product. I care about the process and how it makes me feel and like the doing of it. And I think that stand-up seems to, it very often because of capitalism, pushes people who are interested in stand-up out if they are not framing it in this capitalist way of how much money can you make and when can you get on late night and when can you get a half hour yeah when in reality there should be a space where people could exist doing stand-up because they like it (laughs) you know just because they want to once or twice a year or even every fucking night and never make any money from it and be really great and never want to do a half hour like how does how is it that that exists for almost every other art form but yeah. it doesn't exist for stand up I think the first person who I talked to who was like really one of those dudes was um Adam Sokol um mm-hmm. I had him on the show and yeah. he's just like yeah I don't give a shit I'll just do yeah. stand up <laughs> forever and um I'll work in a bike shop I'll I'll yeah. live with roommates I don't I like this as a craft and it was just very like simple yeah. and matter of fact about it um and it was it was hard for me to like any even like pull anything out of him in terms of like yeah but like what if like you know what, what if you couldn't do this or whatever like and yeah. and he just or like but why and he's like because I like it and he's just very just, you know, very <laughs> stoic about the entire thing but um but I think that's perfect because yeah. that's like that's honest I think there's a lot of people that do stand up that don't like it yeah but they think that it's think a way to, to get something I mean yeah. there's yeah I. When I first moved to New York, and this was another, like, I don't know, culture 
like shell shock of like getting into the real world, the working world and like capitalism and the industry. Uh, moving here with like a film degree and like I'm going to work in like film and TV and I was starting out as a PA and shit. Uh, it freaked me out because I was every day interacting with all of these like hustle culture people who were like, I'm going to be famous. And they were like, mm -hmm. you know, they were like had all this like all these ideas in their head and their Instagram was blowing yeah. up and they got this thing, this YouTube channel and this and this. And like, you know, I had like all of this, like they were like intense networkers. Yeah. And, and they were walking down and, a specific path. And yeah. And I was like, I was like watching them and I was just like, Oh, they're really good at this. And that's my competition. And like, they're fucking born to do this. They're organized in a way that I can't organize my fucking brain. And yeah. they're passionate and they believe in themselves in a way that's really hard for me to do because I'm a depressed Midwestern sad boy. And, you know, I, I just like, I was like, oh, I'm going to get eaten alive out here. And like, I can't do any of this. I can't do, I can't do filmmaking. I can't do stand up. It's obviously like, overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. It, no, you know, like, like that whole like UCB culture of just like the headshots. Yeah. Shots or, or the whole thing. thing. I moved like, here to be a thing. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like, not to be corny, but it is very much a thing of like, do you look at life as a, is it about the destination or about the journey, mm -hmm. you know? And to be honest with you, you know, like you mentioned all these things that I can talk about, anthropology, uh, comedy, relationships. Yeah. Ultimately, I think the thing that threads them all for me is like this idea that you could either just walk the path of doing it the way it's supposed to be done and for the reasons that it should be done, or you can be happy walking the other path that is just doing things because they make you happy. Yeah. And I do know comics that have been successful and they continue to work. Um, and maybe, maybe deep down inside they wanted some of this fame thing and, and it's why they came to it. But they actually occupy this very privileged space where they get to do their art freely with people who like it, but nobody pressuring them into being a thing that is not the thing they want yeah. to be, you know? Uh, I don't know. I think it should exist. I like, I, I, I like painting my paintings for no reason. And I think people should get to write jokes for no reason. And I think that's one of the reasons that Twitter got big was like yeah. before it is what it is now. Yeah, it's amateur you're, joke time. Yeah. You remember it would just, it was just like, People, their accounts would get big because you were just joking yeah. <laughs> and you made good jokes and it meant nothing other than you're good at making a joke. There's still and people so, who I follow who just like, yeah. they don't do anything else. They're just fucking excellent at Twitter. They're yeah. just like really fucking funny on there. Totally. And it's so funny because uh, there are comics, like full professional comics that have late nights and done everything who are so mad at the fact that there's like accounts on Twitter that are bigger than them. Yeah. Well, it's cool. just like, but that's not your art form. It's, it's exactly. Your, no, and it feels weird to call Twitter an art form because it is such a like, corporate bullshit, social media, stupid, you know, dystopian there's, thing, there's but. things too, but I think it's comics not seeing like you might be a good comic who writes good jokes and is a working comic on the road. And that's like a whole different thing. Yeah. The person on Twitter who has this anonymous account and is making just like the best jokes because yeah. they have nothing at stake, right? Drill. Like literally there's like, no, yeah, there's no career. There's no career. There's no, I'm making money from this. There's no, like I literally am anonymous. They have a freedom that you don't have comic who is trying to be the biggest comic yeah. or whatever the fuck. 
you are limited by what can go on late night, what a blue set can be, what Louis C.K., you know, like you are limited. So recognize that that's the difference between, I think, being amateur and pro is like maybe you get to claim like superiority because you're a professional and you make money and in capitalism, that means you're better. Yeah. But I think it's time that we start accepting that people who choose to create outside of capitalism have a certain power too, which is that capitalism doesn't dictate what they get to create. Yeah, I don't know. I fucking, I think about my uh, move out here and the ambition that I came here with and how it's changed so much as I've gotten to know myself and accept myself. And when I came out here, I was like, I did feel this like weird sense of superiority to people in this way. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm hitting the big leagues though. Like, it's cool that you're doing <laughs> your cute little thing in Minnesota like back home, yeah, like back mm-hmm. home, whatever. That's, that's nice, but I'm going to fucking be famous and do some like crazy shit. I'm going to get on some yeah. big shit. And then like, that's what drove me crazy. Like, that's what like put me in, like into therapy where I was like, I, I need to stop all of this and get a shrink now or I'm going to kill myself. Like, yeah. you know, like it was like, it got me into that state. And what it circled back around to is like, I don't need to make myself miserable. I can do the things I like and just like try and form an equilibrium with material needs, food, water, yeah. shelter, and make the things I like. And that's going to be my life. I'm going to make art. That's it. Yeah. And and I was like, okay, so you could have spared yourself this whole fucking expensive trip to New York and and like a hundred grand on fucking art school. You know, if like that's what you wanted to do from the get go, but like capitalism got in your head, man. And you started thinking like you Uh, had to do this like No, 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 no. But let me tell you this. Okay. So I've got a fucked up um two hundred thousand dollar student loan debt. Two hundred and fourteen thousand dollars, I believe, to be exact. Mamma mia. Yeah, and uh, to be fair, my principal balance is ninety-eight thousand. God damn the, it! The rest of it it's is just interest? interest. Yeah, I'm gonna fucking all interest because I've never paid it. Because okay, so I have five degrees, and that makes me want to is... just go out and just like just start break, like breaking car windows. Yeah, exactly. I'm like. Brad, it's a lucky thing that I don't want uh, property or children or any yeah. of that because yeah, can't you ain't that. <laughs> I'm not getting any of that. But, you know, I gambled. This is the thing that I was doing. I was sure. saying, fuck it. I'm all in. And um, I, you know, I, it's like a lot of money. But the way I feel about it is like, what are you going to do? <laughs> I went all in on... Um, gambling that this would be worth the life that I wanted to live and mm-hmm. it is and so now I'm just like I'm not gonna pay you at all but it is a thing that exists over you you know what I mean yeah and yet I don't regret it I wouldn't know all the things that I know if I hadn't yeah. done it That's <laughs> I wouldn't live thing. in New York like, if I, I hadn't about, done it like going yeah. to fucking MCAD and spending all this money on stupid private art school. But yeah. like I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have met all these people. I would I maybe wouldn't have discovered yeah. Brian Eno. I wouldn't have made exactly. friends with Toby Jones. Like, you know, like there's all no, these things yeah. that nobody's like, saying that you need the degree. Nobody's yeah. saying you need college or you need this approval. But I don't regret all the debt that I'm in and all the experiences that I had and all the people that I met and the things that I learned. I literally, as a person that 
man, I'm the first woman in my family that doesn't have fucking children, right? <laughs> so like the fact that I am in a bunch of debt to go learn a bunch of useless shit that nobody else cares about <laughs> is a win. I, yeah. I like, I'm like, it's great. It's the equivalent of being like, I'm going to buy myself a Lamborghini. It is um, decadent and selfish <laughs> in a yeah. way that nobody in my family had ever done before. America. Yeah. So or at least the, the women, dream. at least the women yeah. hadn't, you know? Yeah. I have right next to me <laughs> this entire stack for the listener. I'm showing Louisa a stack of yeah. zines that I made. Love it. There, there's more. There's a, a bunch one. of these um, that I made these in 2013. And that was the last thing I ever printed. Um, and I made an Etsy shop and everything, put all this time into it, like printed these yeah. books, like did all the art, like printed these and, and didn't sell one. And like, there's been times, you know, and where like I walked, like I walked past this like stack of zines and I look and I'm just yeah. like, God, this, there's another fucking thing you failed at. And no. I'm trying to have a different attitude about it now. That's another like, thing you got that's, done. That's another thing that I did. And maybe it didn't that sell, you finished. Like, whatever. And yeah, like, no, now I, them. like I dropped yeah. it, but you know, yeah. like it accepting that there are things that I like that I'm really enthused about that. I'm just going to have to keep putting out that may never get any kind of traction or attention. Yeah. I intentionally don't look at the download numbers of this show because I'm just like, eh, I honestly don't want to know. I don't. I I personally am so glad that Jake does well with PDA. Yeah, because it relieves the pressure for me to not feel like I we have to have like famous guests on or like anything because I'm like I I am not trying to make Why You Mad a thing that's like measured by how much money we're making Mm -hmm. or how many Patreon followers we have. For me, it's literally measured by like how amazing the emails are that we get every week. (laughs) I know, (laughs) isn't that so nice? It's so nice. People connecting and feeling heard and feeling like, holy shit, you're the first person in 10 years. It's made me feel not crazy. That is literally what I'm out here for. Um, The last uh, meme that I saved was uh, Anthony Bourdain. Mm. And it's like a, a screen grab from his show. And literally, it's just like his face and the caption is him saying something like, no, yeah, I'm very lonely in this world. Right. And it reminded me of the Nietzsche thing that I was telling you, where continually we run into this like geniuses feeling lonely and never seen and never loved. And so to me, the lesson there for me and you and everyone else is like the goal is not to be a genius. The goal is to find people who hear you and love you and see what you have to offer they will make you feel like a genius and you will make them feel like a genius because you will connect, right? It is not success to die alone like Anthony and like Friedrich, (laughs) you know? It's rough, man. Like That's sad, yeah. When you think about a guy like Nietzsche who is so smart. Yeah. uh, I mean, a guy like Anthony Bourdain too, who is Mm -hmm. so smart and so cool and like... Yeah. uh, But at the end of the day, they got all of this stuff Greg Giraldo stuff, but mm-hmm. like, yeah, but they like at the, the end of the day, connection. they felt alone and nobody saw them. They yeah. felt unseen. And how fucked up is that? That after their death, there's like literally hundreds of thousands of people being like, no, we saw you. We connected to you. But yeah. while they were alive, we did not manage to show them that. Right. They did not feel that. So it all goes to show that like success will not necessarily make an artist feel heard or seen or loved. 
maybe it is something like Twitter. Maybe it is something like a, a parasocial podcast relationship. Maybe it is something like one girlfriend or one boyfriend that makes you feel fucking heard, who values your feelings, who yeah. makes you. And, and it's crazy because all of those solutions are like middle of the road, not fancy, not exciting, not famous people shit. Right. It's very yeah, I mean, just like one regular person that made me feel hurt. People <laughs> fucking know? people uh, poo poo yeah. the, you know, the, the dopamine addiction of social media yeah. and just, you know, like liking the likes, like uh, like a bump of Coke and like, I yeah. get that. Um, and it does, if you can get, too in your head about it and base your self-worth on it and all that stuff but i will say that if i get a tweet that gets more than five likes i straight up get a hard on like i just like i'm just like <laughs> i'm the best i am the fucking yeah. coolest like and and that like the connection because it's it's not about it's not about a number specifically it's about like oh people I, resonated I put, with yeah this. it resonated yeah. with people I, yeah. I did a thing mm -hmm. that, that people liked and i put myself out there in this way that connected and like you know i mean that's the addiction absolutely that, like, to laughs that comedians talk about you know yeah um yeah speaking of comedians it, you have a show um that you're doing uh that you just started yeah. and you're thinking of you're thinking of just packing it in <laughs> of and, quitting, and quitting yeah <laughs> well okay so it's kind of an experiment because like it's an independent show, but it's at a pretty established venue and I have been paying all the comics um, purposely. I've been paying like as much or more than clubs pay yeah, for spots. That's good. And I'm paying the photographers more than what How they normally pay that? for you just, shows. You, you divvy up ticket price or? No. So I've been putting in my own money oh, <laughs> to just okay. like pay everybody up front for all these things. So, I mean, you're you know, already two hundred k in debt. Like, who gives? Yeah, a shit? exactly. So it gives a shit. So I'm not that much in debt for this show compared to my education. Right. However, it does. Uh, okay, so it's only twice a month. So that's another thing um, that limits how successful we can be. But mm. it is hard, you know. Like we're having to put in a lot of work. Me and the host, the host is Rojo. We're having to put in a lot of work and money to make sure that everybody pay gets paid correctly and all this stuff yeah. ahead of the time of when we sell tickets and we're not making this full amount of money. So I don't know. It just feels like maybe this isn't a thing I should be doing. <laughs> like yeah. uh, I'm having like, I don't want to say self doubt because I don't think this has anything to do with myself. You know, it's like an activity I participate in. It, yeah. it doesn't reflect who I am as a person. But I have been questioning, like, what is the point of me being involved in producing shows, right? Um, I have always thought that the point of being involved is that I have a particular point of view and a voice in, and um, like a standard and who I want to book that I think will affect the rest of comedy. For sure. But if I'm losing money and I'm working hours and I'm spending time and it's not really doing anything for anyone, then like, what's the point? Maybe it's better that I just go and support other people's shows and, you know, talk about how great their shows are. Yeah. I don't know. And I, like, if you're not seeking your own clout, um, one of the things with um, comedy bookers and anybody in the industry, I think is, I think they're driven primarily by wanting to have power over other people. And that is definitely not a driving factor for me. Yeah. So 
I am wondering if maybe it's like better that I have no power whatsoever and I just hang out and I watch shows. <laughs> we'll see. I'll figure it out. I mean, maybe, but like, yeah. like you said, I think you do have a unique voice and vision and uh, you have a particular eye I think for talent too that but capitalism makes it so that it's not so much about okay like I think all the bookers want to think of themselves as curators of a show mm -hmm. but in reality capitalism makes you a coordinator who's booking talent based on who sells, sells. The most. yeah no yeah, yeah you're you're finding the ones who sell the most not yeah. who are gonna like crush them not who you actually think uh, will yeah, be the funniest like yeah, yeah exactly but, yeah. see this is the thing this is why I, I I mean, I don't want, you know, I won't tell you how to live your life, but I'm low key rooting yeah. for you to continue the show because I'm like, well, then Louisa can be a force of good in this industry, especially of like comedy bookers and like the creepy, seamy underbelly of, you know, the capitalist it, industry of comedy. But it's it literally gross. entails me. But it money. entails you losing money. <laughs> to do yeah, it. See, yeah. And I'm like. Thing. Uh, for the amount of money that I've lost for doing like four shows, I could take a trip to an island. God damn it. Would you, you know rather I mean? take, a tip, take a trip to an island? I'm going to Puerto Rico next week. If I have a really oh, great time, I'm probably going to quit the show because I could go to another island instead of doing uh, well, okay. <laughs> I mean, like, I honestly can't argue with you there. Uh, no, and it's fine. I'm not the end-all, be-all. Nobody needs me. It's fine. Shows will continue to oh, happen. You, but no. uh, you, I mean, yeah, but... I don't know. Um, you kind of, it seemed like you were sort of thinking of dipping out of comedy even before the pandemic. Absolutely. Yeah. So like, I don't know, like maybe this is just a long time coming and I don't it's know. been a long time coming and par partially um, I've been really excited about what the alt scene could become in New York because of yeah, the we're pandemic. all starting over. Yeah, we are all starting over. I absolutely to every comic that is hearing me right now or aspiring comic like you should start your own show. Louisa, you I got to tell you, I went to a really fucking great yeah. show uh, last Which Saturday. Uh, it was yeah. at Low Tide Motors. Uh, Casey Salengo was there. Mm. Joe Firestone is put on this by this guy. Love Kevin, them. Kevin James Doyle. Okay. Um, and it was in uh, the it was in the like outdoor yard area of a motorcycle garage. Love that. And the yeah. back of the stage is an Airstream trailer. Like there's a, a good cool, show going like, on in a on so in a cool. laundromat yeah. also here in New York that I've heard is good. There's a good one going on in a brewery, in a beer brewery. So that's what I'm saying. It's like um, I'm very excited for the fact that like clubs is not where you need to be at. If you yeah. actually love comedy, there is a bunch of alt shows run by comics doing their own things. And that's the thing. Honestly, Brad, is like as not a comic, not a performer. Yeah. Most of the people who are booking shows in the alt world, they are doing it as a stepping stone to become club bookers and festival bookers and TV bookers, right? Yuck. I'm not interested in <laughs> yeah. taking those stepping stones. So maybe I should just get out of the way so that like comics can run a bunch of shows that they want to run and I will support those. And mm. I think that they run like they occupy good space in the ecosystem of comedy, right? Like, if you move to a city, you should start a new show because it's a great way for you to meet the comics that already work there, for you to bring in comics that don't work there yet, yeah. um, for you to have regular stage time. So I don't know. I'm just at a point where I have to consider what is the point of what I'm doing here if the point is not to gain clout and it's not to gain power over comics. Sure. Like, maybe then I don't need to be involved and I can just hang out and watch the show and talk mad shit on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
uh, I guess we should wrap up pretty soon. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess the one last thing I wanted to say was um, I've always had this weird relationship with the word hobby um, mm-hmm. where I it feels. And again, this is a thing that like art capitalism put into my head was I, I remember, I don't know, it was maybe late in college or early in my professional career. So around... 2008 9 10 somewhere in there uh there was some article that i was reading about you know like how to succeed as an artist or whatever and it was just like are you doing this as a profession or are you doing this as a fucking hobby uh, you know and like, condescending and, and, yeah, and rude condescending yeah. towards hobbies yeah you know and and then i it got in my head where i just like anytime i heard somebody um you know i, I was dating this girl for a minute who was making music and she was just like and I was like, oh, you should pursue this. You're good at this. And she was just like, nah, it's just, it's, it's a hobby. Like, I don't, yeah. don't want to do this full time. And I was just like, oh. And I just like kind of looked down on her and looked down mm-hmm. on that. And I was like, like in retrospect, I'm like, man, you're, you're, you were wrong, right? You, you, you internalize, yeah. you internalize that capitalist measurement of what art can be. And I, I mean, obviously, if you listen to anything that I have to say, I think that, um, Obviously, we exist within capitalism, and so you have to do whatever you have to do to survive and pay your rent and all of that. But you artists, you all have to be aware that if you are trying to pay your rent with your art, you are constantly going to be put into compromising situations where you are being asked to either do your real art, which is not profitable, or do the thing that is profitable that is a betrayal of your real art. Yeah. And I think that every single artist, regardless of what your art form is, you end up in that situation because of capitalism. And very often we try to frame the successful ones and the good ones and the right ones as the ones who like made the capitalist choice of what could be sellable. And I really think that that actually for the last 50 years has shown us through suicides, through like bad endings, through so many things where artists felt like they lost themselves. Yeah. when they compromise in that way of what is marketable and what is sellable to make them number one. Whereas, com- uh, not just comics, any artists who existed in this world where they were comfortable and confident in who they were, even though it wasn't the top 10 selling thing, they continue, man. They're the ones that are still in their 50s and 60s doing comedy. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. It's only the ones who had to compromise because of capitalism who end up being crushed by capitalism and destroyed by it. And I I don't, I just never want to frame it as like blaming them because I understand the pressures that make you be like, this is what is sellable. This is what is marketable. This is what will move me Well, up. yeah. And once you make that first, yeah. you know, half mil, you know, yeah, full mil, like, like the Kurt Cobain thing, like you, like, mm-hmm. you get signed to fucking Geffen. And yeah. you have like the biggest culture. Like, how do you move back from that? You don't. Absolutely. You don't. And I get it because it's a lot of demons telling you this, this is the right path. And it's only your internal demons telling you this is the wrong path that it pushes you to, towards self-destruction. So all I'm trying to say to every artist is like, I understand the temptation, but I think that um, the true path to making real art for yourself is doing it for yourself and not for any external validation whether it's monetary or anything else it may not be as satisfying as being like famous and rich and all your wildest dreams but it's definitely not as punishing as selling out hell yeah 
amazing. Luisa Diaz, this has been amazing. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, let's do plugs real quick. Um, yeah, let's do it. And we can talk again another time too. I would love I feel to. like we have so much more to talk about. Yeah. Absolutely. You're always welcome back on the show. Yeah. Um, but uh, Plugs. Okay. So let's go with Why You Mad Pod okay. it, on Twitter. That is my podcast with Jake Flores, who is a comedian. So it's very fun because he's a comic. I'm not. We talk about the ethics of comedy, leftist, Latino perspectives on all of that. Love doing that podcast. Um, One also, of my favorite am, podcasts. Do check it thank out. Thank you. I appreciate it. Honestly, it's the best It's the best project I've ever been involved in. It makes me feel really good. Um I feel like I'm reaching people in a way that I never thought that I could. Yeah. And they are making me feel heard and loved and like, great. I appreciate yeah. it. Um, and then I'm also still running a stand-up show that we were talking about here called Casual Sets. It's in New York City at the Asylum, which is formerly UCB Chelsea. Follow us at Casual Sets NYC for as long as we're still doing that. <laughs> and um, I think that's it. Oh, and if you would just want to follow me for my ridiculous tweets, <laughs> then I'm at Luisa Diaz Nuts on both Twitter and Instagram. Great. Yeah. Uh, come back on the show any old time. Like I said, you know, you know what? Yeah. Let's be friends. Like yeah, for real. I'll come over. We'll cook you dinner. Uh, my girlfriend's a good cook. Cause we're like boring trad people and she does cooking <laughs> and I do power tools and shit, Love but we'll, yeah. we'll cook. We'll smoke you out. It'll be really fun. Um, let's do it. All right. Sounds good. Okay. So, um, thanks Ben. And ending the podcast. Thank you once again to Luisa Diaz for being on the show. What a great talk. I would love to have her back on the show anytime. Um, you know, just it's one of those people who can just fucking go off. Can just talk about some shit and make you think about some shit. And make you rub your chin and be like, yeah, I never thought of it that way. Insights. Smart lady. All right. Um, follow me on social media, uh, Radical Pearson on Twitter and Instagram. Follow this show at selfworst on Instagram, patreon.com slash selfworst. You know the drill. Little, little is a dollar a month. Come on, do it. And, uh, you know, there's bonus content. I put out an extra episode every week. I post dog pics. I post all other kinds of weird shit on there that you can see if you just give me some money. That's how it works. Um, rate and review on iTunes. That would be chill. I would love it if you did that. Uh, tell a friend. You know, just tell one person about it today. I know the, uh, there's this jerk off with a podcast and he's, he talks to really interesting people and, and, and he gets cool things out of them. He's pretty insufferable. But... If you can get through that, there's some cool-ass people on there, right? I don't know. I gotta get out of the fucking habit. The the self-deprecating habit, honestly. Is it just getting tired? This is just like my go-tos. This is just like my brands now. And I'm honestly kind of just like... Whatever. I'm thinking out loud right now, can you tell? This is a vamping session. All right. Um, Y'all are over it. I know that. It's okay. We're almost done here. Um, Music is by Shea Bartel. 
Thank you, Shay. And uh, that's it. Check out that podcast. Uh, check out Luis's stuff. And uh, I'll see you next week. What day? Who knows? When you least fucking expect it, that's when. Boom! Podcast. New episode. All right. I'm going to go now. Have a good week. Stay safe. Uh, Don't break your toes. And uh, until next time, go out and fail. It's good for you.